2: A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. SB22-031 is probably the biggest piece of non-consumptive use legislation in the state of Colorado. Maybe ever. And it has elicited the reaction from the hunting community that we only hoped for. So today's podcast is with two individuals that know the system, the wildlife legislative system, the wildlife conservation system in the state of Colorado best. Gaspar Pericone and Dan Gates are our guests today. And all we do is we talk about SB22-031, how it came to be, and what you can do in the next 48 hours before the February 3rd commission meeting in the state of Colorado. I think it's in the old courthouse room at the Capitol. If you don't listen to the rest of this podcast, send an email, call a senator, wherever you are, and if you're in the state of Colorado, show up to the Capitol. Because, as we've said before, a greasy wheel is going to get the grease. Be respectful, be heard and stand up for hunting and science-based wildlife management. Well, this is going to be a first because, you know, one of the things that we're interested in is obviously being current and staying current and being almost the spear tip of things that are happening, uh, not only in the U.S., but around the world. But the biggest thing that's happening in our world right now, Cody, I, I, it's, it's, you can't really argue that SB22-031 is the thing that is on everyone's lips, and especially what's happening this week
0: yeah absolutely and and obviously um i I think it is the biggest thing happening, the biggest you know thing that everyone needs to be aware of right now. It hits really close to home for me um that I live in Colorado, and I admittedly am probably more perked up on it um slightly than the other things because of the direct personal effect um, on that note there was there was there's so much stuff flying around about it um. And and vitriol and people upset. And when people get upset, facts become less, uh, less crucial in their discussion. Um, and so I, I, I reached out to some folks that I respect some in some hunting organizations here in Colorado. And I said to them, you know, a, hey, who knows, who, who really knows about this cat bill in Colorado? Like who, who can, who can answer the questions with knowledge um, and with, with the insider knowledge, um, and the two names were thrown at me, um, and amazingly enough, probably because of my just impeccable skill level at doing these type of things, both of them, both of those gentlemen have agreed to join us here today. Um, we have Dan Gates and Gaspar Pericone. um, why don't, why don't we do this real quick? Let, let's start with uh, Gaspar. Gaspar, tell us a little bit of, you know, you, don't have, you give us whatever details you want, but tell us why um, you're involved in this um, at a level more than just the average hunter here in Colorado. Gaspar,
2: why don't you introduce yourself at the same time? Cody forgets to like say, you know, people assume
0: that. That's kind of what I just said.
3: Yeah, well, let me start by saying thank you both for your interest in this issue. Um, you know, we are at a point in Colorado where uh, we need unity amongst our, our sportsmen ranks, and we appreciate every opportunity to spread the word and educate our, our fellow hunters and anglers about what's happening uh, under the Golden Dome and at the Capitol. Um yeah, I I come from uh, a background of hunting and angling and conservation and have parlayed those personal interests into a professional career. Um, I served as a policy advisor on uh, hunting and angling and agriculture issues in the U.S. Senate, um, served as a legislative director for a previous governor at the Department of Natural Resources and um, had a, a brief stint where I ran a national nonprofit hunting and angling organization. And, you know, this is just my passion. This is my way of life. Uh, I've never been good at sitting on the sidelines and watching these issues go by, particularly at a moment in time when defense is needed of our, of our culture and our heritage and, um, frankly, our, our wildlife management at its core. So, uh, you know, I, am just happy to be part of the fight. Um, you know, I, I do bring a degree of expertise perhaps to this discussion, but, um, you know, it's the folks on the ground that uh, I think, at day's end, are, are going to help us defeat this bill. So,
0: Dan, give us a give us a quick introduction. Same same scenario. Introduce yourself and kind of your your role in the in the past and up till now with uh, this kind of work.
4: Well, I appreciate it and appreciate the opportunity, guys. Uh, as you said, my name is Dan Gates. I'm the Current president for the Colorado Trappers and Predator Hunters Association. Also, uh, in conjunction with that, I'm the chair of the Coloradoans for Responsible Wildlife Management. Uh, I run and operate a wildlife control business. Uh, ever since I got out of high school, I've been I've been trapping, uh, guiding, hunting trips, and uh, doing things that are wildlife related. And the things that that are most passionate to me and my family, and the livelihood that we've been able to provide for ourselves over the course of the last long time. I mean, it's it's 35 plus years uh, I got involved about 13 14 years ago on multiple levels and 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 jumped into a level that is probably beyond most people's comprehension or, or want or desire to do so and uh, am I don't have the resume that mr. Pericone has uh, but uh, but I I've got a lot of grit a lot of passion a lot of desire and 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 a lot of ass kicking left in my in my mind that we need to do to make sure that we do what is necessary when it comes to showing the benefits of hunting and fishing and, and wildlife management. And uh, I, I've been playing at this level for quite some time. We started the CRWM, the Coloradoans for Responsible Wildlife Management, four years ago in preparation for these type of fights. And we've been fighting them at the commission level and somewhat at the legislative level. We're the only organization in the state of Colorado that's got sportsmen lobbyists fighting on behalf of sportsmen's issues. Others have representatives to some degree. But because of the, the IRS rankings that they've got with the 501c4, three or six statuses, they're only a limited and allowed to do certain things. And uh, so we've kind of been thrown into this uh, out of choice and out of need and, uh, and out of the willingness to do so, while others have not been able to and some have not been willing to.
0: Excellent. Thanks. Thanks to both of you, first of all, for uh, not only joining us today, but for what you do. Um, I think um, there's probably no one more guilty than me of sometimes just forgetting about the fight and enjoying the freedoms and 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 not uh, sometimes not doing my part or remembering that we've got to keep fighting for it. So let's let's I, w- I want to get, first of all, into a. Uh, I think the big question in my mind, and maybe this will kick off a little bit of the backstory on this bill, is why is this happening at a legislature level um, and not at the commission level where things – at the Wildlife Commission level where things like this, at least in my ignorant mind, should be being discussed and decided?
4: Well, Gaspar, you Go want ahead, me to take that? One of you. Go ahead, Dan. So, just to give you a little bit of backdrop, back in 2019, the Humane Society of the United States, along with some other individual groups, uh, animal rights-oriented groups, approached the Wildlife Parks and Wildlife Commission uh, and ran a petition to ban the harvesting of bobcats uh, in the state of Colorado. Uh, uniquely, most of the commissioners that were on at that time were appointed by the current governor, Governor Jared Polis, and and through arguments of that process, a decision was made to deny the petition with those commissioners uh, by by the margin of 10 to zero. There was one commissioner absent. Uh, So we won unanimously. And then in 2020, during the middle of the pandemic, the groups that I previously mentioned came back again, and we were putting up another formidable opposition, and they withdrew the petition for unknown reasons, but we have the. A tendency to think that it was because they were made aware of some of our testimony and some of our uh, presenters. So it was a, it was that was a virtual uh, meeting that was scheduled, and they weren't happy with the results from 2019. So when they withdrew it in 2020, then they came back in 21 and did it again. And because the pandemic and COVID restrictions, we were forced to meet virtually, and with most all, not just several, but most all of the governors. Appointed commissioners, we want a unanimous decision again to d- deny the petition 11 to 0. Uh, same context, same storyline of what we're dealing with here on this bill 22031. And uh, so they didn't like the answers that they got. Uh, they didn't like the responses that were given about well, why they weren't going to get it. And uh, they decided to move forward legislatively.
0: I want to jump in here with a question, and it's going to sound like I'm pushing back, but I just want to clarify. Yes, sir. Do we know that? Do we know that those groups are behind? Like HSUS is not listed on the bill, right? They're, but do we know that they're behind the drafting and, and presentation of this bill?
4: Yes, HSUS and about a half a dozen other organizations are included in this conversation. Uh, Very deeply and intimately.
0: Okay, and I'm I'm not doubting. I just wanted that kind of stated, as opposed to like it's being assumed. I I, I didn't want it to be assumed. I wanted it to be stated. So the
2: petition, you know, in the in the past is all for bobcats. So, Gaspar, did they have to add all of the other stuff to just make it big enough for senators to take notice? Because you know, honestly, a bobcat wouldn't really make sense just, you know, just going off to bobcats.
3: I, I think the history of what we have seen is, uh, you know, a concerted effort to reduce hunting and angling and trapping opportunities wherever there's an opportunity, right? Um, there clearly was a, a bit of success from the uh, animal rights advocates um, in uh, recent memory. We've seen a, a couple of different ballot efforts in Colorado uh, relating to to the uh, restrictions on uh, hunting with hounds and spring bear hunting. And, you know, I think there's a sense that there might be a little uh, opportunity and blood in the water for these folks to move forward. And, you know, one thing that I think is important to note here as well is that uh, while they were unsuccessful in their efforts at the commission level and consequently have now pivoted to a legislative approach, uh, I don't think there's any doubt that, um, you know, this bill, pass, fail, or draw is not in some ways a bit of a test balloon for consideration of an upcoming ballot measure. And so, um, you know, these fights have been popping up um, across the board and across the nation, frankly. Frankly, Colorado is not unique in this space. There's a whole host of other anti-hunting and trapping uh, legislative efforts in, in states all across the Rocky Mountain West. And I think what we need to take note of is the fact that this is undeniably a orchestrated nationwide effort. This is not a Colorado-specific conundrum. And as such, uh, we as a hunting and uh, yeah, conservation-based uh, coalition really need to to recognize this for what it is, step up, unify in our voice and our efforts, um, not only to educate the public about the benefits of hunting and angling in the context of the North American model, but also recognize the consequence of wildlife management policies that are made outside of the traditional, um, restrictions associated with state game and fish agencies.
0: If, if you were to guess, or if you were to, uh, what's their stated motivation? Like if someone presented this bill for a species that was being hunted that was in serious decline population wise that's a thing i stand up and listen to right like we've gone through this even in some other countries where hunters have come to us and said you've got to help us fight this change in the regulation of hunting this species and when you look into it that species is actually in a massive decline and at a at a minimum bag limits or you know, it was reasonable. Like right, like it it made sense for hunters to to kill less of this species. That's not the case with anything except for the the you know the lynx isn't doing great. Thank God they're going to make it illegal to hunt on a lynx in Colorado too. But
4: let me let me interrupt. Attempt let me interrupt, Cody. Itself that they're not going to make it illegal it's already illegal to hunt lynx in the state of Colorado yeah no lynx are protected and should not hor- be even incorporated into this bill
0: it was a it was a horrible attempt at humor or or sarcasm on yeah, my part there. No. I, i'm aware that yeah. I, they threw they threw the lynx on there so they could state that they were protecting a protected species that was already protected right yes, um sir. But what do you think their stated motivation? I, I firmly believe from an assumption that their actual motivation is to just eliminate hunting opportunities, but they can't make population claims on bobcats or mountain lions in Colorado. like what what are they why are they telling people we need to do this? Does that question make sense?:
3: Yeah, I, I think it's fair. Um, I am not going to speculate on you know what their stated claim would be i think we have to take the the bill at face value and as such i think it's fair to evaluate it on face value and the simple fact of the matter is is that mountain lion population is thriving in colorado i mean we're looking at somewhere between 3800 to 4400 mature cougars out there and that doesn't even include their offspring and so to make the argument That this is in an effort to uh, curtail a declining population simply just is inaccurate and doesn't hold water. Now, you know my assumption about that underlying sentiment is very much in line with what you articulated, and I think it is fair to say that the long-term objective is to reduce, in any way, shape, or form, um, the opportunities for hunters and anglers to participate in responsible wildlife management in the state, and. You know this seems like a relatively low hanging fruit item for them sure but you know we need to be uh, aware of the notion that we could face death by a thousand cuts here right and there needs to be a defense not necessarily just on every hunting opportunity but a defense put forward um, for the preservation of science-led wildlife management by biologists and associated wildlife management experts at colorado parks and wildlife and any effort that they can put forward to derail some of those efforts that do endorse hunting as a reasonable wildlife management tool, I think they would see as a, a small victory.
2: Dan, if I may, um, you know, one of the things that, just to put a sort of fine chisel point to this, somebody like you, somebody who is the president of the Trappers Association, Trapper by nature, if, if, if you looked at the, the playing cards laid out in front of you, you may say, I'm actually for SB 22 moving forward because it would lead to more problem animals and in the trapping industry. You know, isn't that something that you would be for? But in fact, you're like, no, hell no, we don't want that.
4: No, you're exactly right. Um, when Amendment 14 was passed, which was a ballot initiative, a constitutional amendment in 1996, it essentially banned the utilization for avocational purposes. For foothold traps, body gri- gripping devices, and cable restraint devices, and and killer-type tra- traps, the conibear-type traps. Uh, when I was running my business at that point in time, uh, business was good, but it became very good shortly thereafter, and it's been monumental since then. And that's why the amount of wildlife control businesses that have opened up since 1996 in the state of Colorado and all across the country for that matter. Uh, the urban sprawl mm-hmm. and the, the human tolerance for, for wildlife-related conflicts is there and, uh, and, and it, mm-hmm. it, it, it continues to increase. Uh, but to your point, no. From an advocational standpoint, under the mission of Colorado Parks and Wildlife, which is in this, in statute, it's 33-1-101. And, and it's the intent of that agency to provide multiple wildlife-related opportunities for all of Colorado's residents and visitors alike, with the caveat to that, that it's intended to make sure that we have sustainable wildlife populations, which we do. Uh, right. Since Colorado Parks and Wildlife's inception 125 years ago, this is their 125th anniversary, there's not been one species that's been extirpated. Uh, and the management objectives of that that plays into different classifications of game animals. I mean, there's there's fur bearer animals and waterfowl animals and small game animals and big game animals and 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 fish and other other things. Uh, there's 960 species of wildlife, 80 game species, and the agency's done a really damn good job of doing what everybody thinks that they're experts in, but they really don't have a clue of what they're talking about about one species, let alone 960 species, on a landscape that has changed so significantly over the course of the last, you know, hundred years and specifically over the last thirty or forty years, just with human growth. So no, trappers Mm -hmm. and hunters alike don't want anything taken out of the pot for pursuit of game because as soon as you start to marginalize or pedestalize specific species, then there's less value to that to the entire population of, of people that would could be concerned with it. Some people just like knowing stuff is there. Other people like to watch it. Other people like to pursue it. But in, in all of that, you have to have a management process. And that's what we adhere to because mm-hmm. with the North American model of wildlife conservation, as Gaspar mentioned, the intent is to maintain the integrity of wildlife management in North America. And that's exactly what this bill would try to go against that would restrict and prohibit. And as he mentioned, the, the death by a thousand cuts is just only one piece of the iceberg.
2: Yes, Paul, well, he, um, he pretty much just said, you know, with all the statistics that he just, uh, he, I'm just calling Dan he, that Dan just stated, is that science and the North American model of conservation in the state of Colorado is working. And it's working well. And it's not just working well for hunting. It's working well for people, like Dan just said, that like to know the wildlife's there. That like to see the wildlife, and is there is that we do we just fall down on those two components of like the third being we want to hunt them, but the one that is I like to see them there and I like to see them. Have we fallen down in explaining that that's why those things are actually there and why they're happening?
3: I think largely we have. Um... I think it's important to recognize and, and understand the role that hunters have historically played in restoring and sustaining wildlife populations in the last century, you know, both in Colorado and across North America. I, to your point, I think it's easy for the general public to look back uh, upon the dark days of history of government-employed market hunting and think that today's hunters and today's wildlife management is in many ways the same. And in reality, they couldn't be further from the truth. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, personally, I, I find the notion of, of marking hunting to be abhorrent. Uh, luckily, so did the rest of America during the turn of the 1900s. And, you know, that's what led to today's um, modern uh, system of wildlife management and regulating hunting. Uh, it, it came in response to those dwindling wildlife populations. And, you know, of the 960 species in Colorado today, only 40 of them are huntable, uh, legally huntable. Of course, the fees from hunting and fishing licenses help conserve all wildlife species, game and non-game alike, including those that are threatened and endangered. And when you look at the investment not only in terms of policies and regulations that are now employed by state agencies, but the financial contributions that hunters and anglers um, have put forward to restoring America's wildlife populations. Uh, I, I think it's plenty fair to say that the hook and bullet community is simply unparalleled in preserving America's wildlife. Uh, I'll, I'll make quick note uh, to your point too that uh, You know, there there is a question about whether or not we as a community have done an adequate job uh, to educate the non-hunting public about the role that we've played in wildlife management. And I think these bills are evident that we probably have fallen down a little bit on that front and that we do as a community need to do a better job. acknowledging that we, we do only represent 10% of the public and that, you know, if we are going to continue to, um, move forward with this form of wildlife management and and the hunting and angling opportunities that are available to us today, then we ought to engage those folks that are either ignorant or unaware of, of that role and embrace them because we will need them moving forward. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Dan, one of the things that Gaspar just noted is obviously the dollars that are generated by hunters, and you know, in the state of Colorado through PR dollars, and not to mention the anglers through Dingle Johnson dollars. But the the state of Colorado itself has other additional revenue pieces that are tied to hunters that pay for all sorts of things, like these guys have got a habitat stamp, like a ten dollar habitat stamp. I believe there's something else in there that generates more money internal to the state of Colorado for habitat management, for land acquisition, for conservation of habitats, all sorts of things.
4: Yeah, you're exactly right, and and ironically, I'm I'm I sit on the habitat stamp committee. Um, I'm I've been on eight years, and in the, the the tens of millions and of dollars that have been contributed from hunting and angling license purchases into that habitat stamp program is is remarkable. I mean, pushing 280,000 acres of land that's been acquired or uh, been conserved for habitat conservation efforts. And that's for that's for a lot of threatened and endangered species. It's migratory corridors, it's birthing grounds, it's wildlife crossings, it's a variety of different things. Uh, the, the things that, that Colorado Parks and Wildlife, that the programs that they provide through the purchase of hunting and fishing dollars and through the management objectives of of those game species that Gaspar and I previously mentioned is monumental i mean the trickle down effect effect of hunting and fishing in colorado is approaching 3 billion dollars uh not that's that's for everything straight across the board that's that's jobs and that's outfitters and that's wow. uh, anything that you can throw into the hunting and fishing category The wildlife watching community could be part of that to some degree, but they can't watch wildlife if there isn't management of wildlife to make sure that we have that wildlife for them to be able to watch. And it's a constant, it's a constant chess game. It's an adaptation and an evolving process in wildlife management issues and objectives because it's a changing landscape. Colorado Parks and Wildlife, specifically, any game agency for that matter has the ability to maneuver and posture and model their management objectives for those game species which then in turn benefits all of the non-game species that people don't recognize on a grand scale I mean look at the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of non-game species that benefit off of hunting and fishing dollars so the jobs that are created the economic component to the to rural Colorado uh there, there's a there's a major component there not just on the economic side but the economic side is what makes all of it flow to where all of it is perpetual. It's circular. It's it's part of the process of how the North American model and the American funding, the American conservation funding model, works, and and many other states that you guys mentioned around, uh, and many other countries you guys mm-hmm. mentioned around the world, uh, they they praise what North America has done. They don't have that in place, and a lot of them would be would love to be able to replicate it, but some are too far behind the eight ball and they can't. Hundred percent. All.
0: All of that in mind, and I want to hear from from uh, each of you on this. Um, but G- Gaspar, I'll throw it to you first. What do we do? What What is the guy that's sitting here in the a, in a, you know, on my little thirty five acres in southern Colorado that wants to that wants to be a part and throw my hand in at stopping this specific bill? What do we do? Well, it's a good question, Cody, and I'm glad
3: that you asked it because we're at a point in time where that question needs to be asked of all of us. I think gone are the days when we as members of the hunting and angling community can sit idly by and and let others do our work. And the easiest point of access for engagement, at least with respect to getting into the legislative fight and prohibiting bills of this nature from advancing, is to write a check or get involved with Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management, Dan's group. They are the sportsman's voice down at the Capitol for all of us here in the state. Um, There is undeniably no replacement for having boots on the ground, lobbyists in the Capitol, and voices advocating for our rights and our history and the continuation of hunting and angling. And the other thing, too, is, you know, not everybody wants to be involved directly in the legislative process. There are a host of other hunting and angling and conservation organizations in Colorado. Uh, you know, we we have 18 of them that just came together in a, a new coalition that we are calling the um, Colorado Wildlife Conservation Project um, to, to show unity in our voice and uh, a collective purpose in our action. And engaging with any one of those membership organizations to help educate the non hunting public and to encourage those organizations to continue their engagement and conversations with legislators uh, I think is a is a great entry point. Dana, I wanted to kick that over to you as well um, given you know you guys have been our our voice at the capitol and the tip of the spear, so to speak and and pushing back against some of these attacks and and frankly advocating for. Policies
4: and priorities that we are proactive on, as well. No, thanks, Gaspar. the The mission, the mission of the Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management, is, is fairly benign. I mean, it's it's fairly neutral. Uh, we're not a species group. We're not a really a conservation group. We're not even a membership group. It's it's paid by contributing factors and donors of 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 interested organizations or individuals that are trying to formulate a consistent message and a plan of representation that can be had through education and through representation at legislative issues. And, and so the mission is to enhance, promote, and defend the North American model of wildlife conservation and responsible wildlife management. That Any, any group that we're talking about in this coalition uh, can stand behind that effort because it doesn't go in direct conflict or contrary to their own mission, but at the same time, it doesn't turn around and compete with their own mission as well. And it's, it's necessary to have those type of people and organizations and players on the same team go in the same direction to the same destination to make sure that we end up with some sort of armament built up, some sort of preventative and, and, and proactive measurements that have been built up as opposed to reactionary. Too much over the course of my career, which is on the backside of it just because of age factors, but the backside of it, we've always waited for something to happen. And and we got tired of waiting. And the the opposition, who doesn't want us to do anything, is not just it's not just singular. It's not just bullet pointed to uh, conservation efforts. Look what's happened on on, on cattle industry and sheep industry and, and 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 the and the hog and the chicken industry or the turkey industry or the fishing industry or whatever. Anything that we talk about when it comes to some sort of consumptive use and the utilization of natural resources or domestic populations of, of animals, agriculture, industry, is being under attack and under assault. I don't care if you have leather seats in your Cadillac Escalade, or you've got leather boots, or you want to have a leather wallet, or your wife wants the word mascara, or you want perfume, something along the line is affected by us with animals, whether it's wildlife or other, and this is an agenda, and to try to counteract that agenda, it takes similarly minded individuals and organizations it takes a bank account it takes a mission and it takes boots on the ground as we gaspar mentioned 365 days a year it's not during the legislative session it's not during the commission level it's 365 days a year and our opposition is working 365 days a year at all levels and looking for the most vulnerable low-hanging fruit in whatever state to impose their wishes wants and desires and that's the biggest problem that we have is making sure that we that we keep no pun intended for our state in Colorado. You keep the wolf at the door and don't let him in the hen house.
0: OK, f- phenomenal answers. But I got to press a little bit more because I didn't get all of it that I wanted. What do you guys want a Colorado sportsman or sportswoman over the next 48 hours from the release of this podcast to do about this bill. And now I, I know that that may go, may feel contrary to what Dan just said about it's all reactionary, but we need to react to this bill. What like, that's, that's my next part of the question. Like, what do I do as a, as a sportsman in Colorado that doesn't want this bill to even get out of hearing or what, like that, that what's the answer to that question? one of you set up what's actually happening in 48 hours. Yeah, so... What's actually happening in
2: 48 hours?
3: The bill has been introduced and has been assigned to the Colorado Senate Agricultural and Natural Resources Committee, uh, which is a group of legislators that will take the bill for consideration for the first time before the full Senate gets to vote on it. If the bill were to advance... Uh, out of the Senate Agriculture Committee, it would go to the floor, uh, the Senate floor, for deliberation and debate, and then the same uh, situation unfolds on the House side. We have a bicameral legislature here in Colorado, and so our hope and our intent is that the outpouring and demonstration of opposition to this bill will be sufficient to kill the bill in in the first committee. I think what uh, you know an individual sportsman in Colorado could do is go to SaveTheHuntColorado.com, uh, where they can find a list of legislators and their email and their phone numbers and express your opinion directly to those individuals. Articulate to them why it is that you are in support of science-based wildlife management, how this bill directly interferes with the long history of CPW's authority to continue that science-based wildlife management. And, um, you know, let them know that you are a Colorado hunter or a Colorado angler. And um, it's important to you that the rules and regulations by which we have so successfully managed all of our state's wildlife continue into the future.
0: Okay, I, I got a quick response to that. I'm just going to devil's advocate, Gaspar. Yeah. Does, it, does my phone call do any good?
3: It does. It does. I, I know it's easy to be apathetic about this and, you know, the age old saying of my vote doesn't matter, but I can tell you this. The silence certainly doesn't go unnoticed. When we don't weigh in on issues and when we do not let our voices be heard, we lose. And I think uh, this type of engagement um, that we've seen this time around may shift that trend. I, I, I gotta be honest, I mean, unity is needed now more than ever. Hunters and anglers have got to come together. We're faced with rampant human development into wildlife habitat, which you know, species of all kinds are feeling. And when you couple that with a growing societal perspective uh, that is born from a highly urbanized demographic, And the general population whose lives are so disconnected from wildlife and whose opinions towards hunting are either, you know, agnostic or oppositional. Well, then that requires Colorado hunters and anglers and conservationists to adapt uh, to this 21st century reality and to work together in order um, to to defend, uh, you know, what we enjoy today. And the way that we are going to do that is by speaking out and speaking up.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a, a loaded question. I, I firmly believe that my phone call matters, and I've seen so many horror stories of commission meetings across the country where 350 folks on the other side of the debate showed up, and there was four hunters there. Right? Like that's that that's that apathy that I think we have sometimes. Dan, same same question to you. What what is that? Individuals. Or, or do you have anything to add to what Gaspar said about what did, what is the the individual what what do I need to do um, about this bill specifically? Um, granted, I you know I, I should have done it over the last two weeks, but what do I need to do over the next two days? Just in addition to what Gaspar said.
4: Well, Cody, let me read you something that just came out in an article in the in the Boulder Daily Camera today, and it's just one paragraph in a in a in a long article but it says former bill sponsors report their inboxes were flooded the day of the bill was introduced on the first day of the session hundreds and maybe thousands of form letters came in with dozens of phone calls to start the day from hunting organizations that want to keep hunting lions and all carnivores recreationally it's clear these groups are extremely well organized well that's that's a statement from a very liberally minded newspaper in the district where the senate senator who is the vice chair and a sponsor of the bill actually resides that statement speaks volumes onto what we are actually seeing with specific legislators wanting to pull off and i would i would encourage people not to back off at this point in time we are we are planning a rally at the capitol on the day of the hearing which is february 3rd uh, we're doing a press conference at around twelve thirty. The hearing is supposed to be heard in this in the old Supreme Court room at one thirty. Between now and then, phone calls, emails, and planning on figuring out how to get to the Capitol would be, in my opinion, the best opportunity for hunters and anglers and sportsmen and women to participate in some capacity to try to thwart these efforts. And not only just thwart this one, I've had phone calls today and emails today that indicated, oh, I heard the bill was dead. I heard it wasn't going to pass. Well, I tell you what, that's no reason not to go and watch the game and and make sure that you are part of the optical component and show that we are united and we are solidified and we are trying to voice our reason of logic for scientific wildlife management. Emails, phone calls, personal appearance at the Capitol. Nobody has to testify if they don't want to. Matter of fact, testimony is probably filled up to the point that there won't be any additional testimony taken, but we need people to show up and support what they believe in, and that's science-based wildlife management, so we can all advocationally pursue whatever game species it is, and it's not just about mountain lions and bobcats.
2: Dan, have you seen this kind of response to this kind of bill before? Because it blew up. In my mind, You know, we're in it every day across the country. I've never seen a response like this. No, which, you're in mind to your paragraph that you just mentioned. It was amazing.
4: Yes, and it, you're exactly right, Robbie. It, it, the we haven't had to fight something of this magnitude at the legislature at that level for quite some time. Uh, the last time that we had something that was giant, it was it was the trapping uh, constitutional amendment back in 1996, and then previous to that was the uh, initiative 10, which the which was the bear hunting initiative uh, that wasn't constitutional. The last time that I can recall that we had something of this magnitude with people that showed up in, in force uh, was at the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission meeting that I mentioned three years ago when we unanimously defeated the Bobcat ban. Uh, and, and we had about 370 people show up for a trapping deal in a commission meeting. It was monumental. Gaspar was a former Parks and Wildlife Commissioner. It's hard to get 30 people and sportsmen together in a location. We, we approached 400, and we would like to get that or more at this deal uh, on Thursday, because we think it's necessary to set the tone and the narrative that if we're going to continue to maintain Colorado's wildlife and natural resources, we have to speak up from the ones that participate, the ones that know it, and let the experts do the management of that. So I, I'm hopeful that we continue to see this sort of outreach in a very respectful, uh, civil, uh, manner with a level of decorum, we're there professionally to show that we are concerned about our natural resources and wildlife management, and we're not there to protest it's it's not it's not even a revolution to, so to speak It's a rally of like minded individuals to get together and show s- support for something that we've already got that's been created and works fine for the last hundred and twenty five years
0: excellent i I really like both of you with the with the concise messaging of science based wildlife management. I think sometimes. Um, I don't know how to say this without sounding derogatory. I, I think sometimes hunters struggle with with the argument, right? And you know, the, the, and and I, I think we struggle with rallying together because, for the most part, we're kind of solitary, um, self dependent individuals. I'm not lumping everyone together, but as a group, you know, we kind of stick to our own and think we're okay. Um, that's a great basis for the messaging in the debate is, and, and, and the the current populations on this one in particular, you know, like the science-based wildlife management has done very well for the bobcat and the mountain lion as, as species they're, they're, they're doing wonderfully. Um, and at the same time, you know, keeping the the conflict down. Uh, the The other thing that I've got to get into a discussion with you two about while I've while while we've got you here, is on a broader general sense, a whole bunch of this is going to tie into what you both said was the answer to what do we do about this bill in particular. Let me phrase it this way. What I think the most important thing that we as a community have to figure out how to do is to inform – at Blood Origins, we lump the entire world into three groups for the sake of our messaging – it's hunters, anti-hunters, and everybody else. I think that the everybody else, in a great big way, doesn't understand science-based wildlife management in the North American model. I, and I don't think that they're, I'm not saying they're ignorant people. I'm saying they don't on a daily basis think about why do we have more white-tailed deer than than, than we used to, right? They don't think about those things. It, it doesn't. It's not a part of their day to day. Um, How do we, first of all, do you agree with me? That's an important thing to do is to figure out a way to get our messaging to the non-hunting public, um, especially when things get taken to the legislature. We see this, we see this roadmap where the anti-hunters try to take it to the commission they lose on science there because they're dealing with scientists. So then they try to take it to the legislature. Hopefully in most instances, the part of the state government, the commission can affect those type of things and we can rally there. And then they take it to a ballot and please strictly with emotions and completely ignore science. The last two, the legislature and the ballot initiatives, we have to get that non-hunting public to understand the facts and the science if, if we hope to continue to win these things, right?
3: Yeah, I, I think that's exactly the right question to be asking, and I think one that all too often goes unanswered. And, you know, it, it is. It's important for us to recognize that, by and large, hunting is not a right. We as hunters and anglers need to defend and advocate for that right every day or the prospect of it continuing into the future is not so sure. And to the other point, the author, uh, Donald Thomas Jr., has this theory about the, the interface between or, or the debate around the, the ethics of hunting and the relation to wildlife management decisions that I really like. And essentially, he breaks down the argument to a simple question. Are modern sporting practices good or bad for wildlife? And he claims, and I agree, that you know, an objective and historical overlay of outcomes answers that question definitively in the positive column for hunters, and in a way that the animal rights proponents cannot do so. And so, you know, if wildlife is better off with hunting than without it, moral and social objections uh, can and should be treated for what they are, legitimate matters of personal belief that form a very poor basis for public policy. And there's an element in there that I think we you know need to highlight as well, and that is a mutual respect. every where you stand in life depends on where you sit. There unfortunately is not enough of us sitting in a, a chair that uh, comes from a hunting and angling background, and so we need to you know, in all of our narrative and dialogue going forward, yes, fight to defend what we have but Also put ourselves in the shoes of others and recognize that not everybody does come from our perspective and from our our background and our our family histories. And, you know, approach that with a degree of uh, of respect and seek to teach rather than, um, you know, seeking to defend or fight, because moving forward, collaboration is the way to victory. And anything shy of that, I
0: think, is uh, working against our goals dan
4: thoughts oh, that.
0: on that on that on that same bullet point there
4: no i i concur with gaspar i think one of the biggest problems that we have and and and, and there again not being braggadocious but uh, i sit as chair of the colorado wildlife council a messaging component that is an arm out of the a statutory regulation that was created to to show the benefits of hunting and fishing and it wasn't meant to advertise or to to try to get the hunting and fishing community on the same page. It was it was meant to get just what you're talking about, Cody, the the non-hunter, not to convince the anti-hunter. I mean, you're not going to convince somebody that doesn't believe in God to go to church. You're not going to be you're not going to convince somebody that that doesn't that hates Brussels sprouts to eat eat Brussels sprouts. We have to we have to model our message to the people that are Non-hunters that can sit on the fence one way or the other—they're not Democrats mostly, they're not Republicans mostly—they're in the middle, and and that can be referenced as the "in the wind" crowd, so to speak. They might pref- prefer specific uh, things that have likes and dislikes. We need to convince them that hunting and fishing is good for wildlife management, so they can be that wildlife watcher, so they can be that person that just knows that it's there. We don't do a very good job overall as a sporting community, the hunting, angling, hook and bullet community, to, to try to educate that component of our population. Those specific individuals between 18 and 34 years old are the ones that sway elections a lot of the time, maybe by two or three percentage points. They might do it on a, on a presidential election, they might do it on a wildlife type election, they might do it on a tax deal, or maybe it's healthcare, maybe it's you know socialistic and in, in economic components. But those are the ones that sway the elections, and they need to be educated about specific topics. On our end, hunting and fishing is a specific topic. It it resonates with them. With the Wildlife Council, we see that it resonates with them. And I think that the hunting and angling community can do a better job and needs to figure out a way to do a better job to message, just to show the benefits of what we provide as a hunting and angling community and what conservation is, how it came to where it's at, and where it needs to be able to go in the future for that specific group to understand how we make changes at those levels. If you're in this in this wheelhouse and you're sixty seven years old and you like to hunt, that's not the message we need to try to create. We don't need to talk to our own guys in banquets and fundraisers and conventions and stuff. We know those guys are going to vote for what we want. We're trying to get all of our people together on the same page collectively through organizations through legislation, through through agencies and, and game departments and game and fish departments, we need to get that message to where it's consistent and it's to that specific user group that isn't really one of our users, but they are part of the entire process.
2: 1,000% mm-hmm. correct. One thousand. That's Blood Origin's message right there, my man, is that we don't create content for the hunting community. We create content for the non-hunting community.
3: That's
4: the hardest expressing thing. Expressing
2: our heart, expressing why we hunt. Exactly. Exactly. Sheesh, man. Aspar and Dan, how was that freaking? <laughs> Jeez. Exactly. Exactly what I wanted. Like this is. This is, exactly... is wildlife better
0: with or without hunting? Hell of a question. Hell of a question. And fairly easy to answer with data, right? I mean, not not. It, it's a great question, but it's it's a it's an easy question to answer. Um, it, it's, at least in North America, um, we've proven it out, haven't we? Maybe on a shadow of a doubt, we've proven out that it is better.
3: We have, we have, and and the science and the data does support that, and. Um, with that arrow in our quiver, it falls on us to deliver that message in a way that will carry the day. And, uh, you know, I just want to thank you both again for what you're doing to advance the, the hunting and the angling sports uh, with an eye towards conservation as well. Uh, it's a trend that has slowly began to emerge in this community. And uh, I, I, for one, have been grateful to see it.
2: Well, we appreciate that. Um, we're certainly humbled and grateful
0: yeah th- th- thank you guys i mean both of you for what you're doing um what what i honestly consider way less fun work than what we're doing and i'm I'm grateful that you're doing it dan i'm i'm on a i'm gonna take a quest for the next week to find a committee or an organization dan's not involved with um and see if I can get him to sign up for that um but no on a on a serious note you guys uh I mean, I, really, you're doing this stuff that that we all know that we need to do, but kind of just don't want to because it doesn't seem very fun. You know what I mean? And I, I'm I'm genuinely appreciative of that, and for you coming on here today, we we accomplished exactly what we wanted to do. We have this goal of, of what really we have this mindset that if we're honest and we lay the facts out. Um, that's the easiest way for us to win because the facts and the si- science are in our favor. And uh, there was just a lot of stuff bouncing around the Internet about this particular bill. And I wanted uh, I wanted legitimate insiders that knew the actual facts to to answer some of these
4: questions. So thanks for doing that. But well, I, th- I think if if you don't mind me saying yeah. one of the things that we have available to us is to attempt to fight And I'm not saying we need to turn around and pick up arms. We need to fight for what we want to keep. If somebody is going to come in your house, the majority of us are going to fight. And right now, people are coming into the sportsman's house, to the hunting and angling, the hook and bullet house. They have been for quite some time. We have not figured out sometimes who our enemy is, what their motivations and agendas are, uh, what their uh, game plan is. And we have the ability to unite, to become a unified, solidified force, a very motivational force that can can stand up and fight. We spend a tremendous amount of time preparing for the hunt, preparing for the quest, the pursuit, the time engaged, the effort, the money, the scouting, all the practices. Look at all the stuff that we do. We need to spend just a little bit of that time trying to defend what we are trying to do all that other stuff for. Without that, we we have no chance for future generations. Without that, we have no chance for the current generation. We have to turn around and decide where that line has been drawn in the sand and if we're willing to stand on one side or the other or if we're willing to fight to keep others from crossing that line.
3: Dan, that's why I'll fight. Hey Amen. And I might just add to that a little bit in saying, you know, the fights against the ban of particular species and take are obvious and easy, Uh, but there is perhaps no bigger fight that we all collectively face than declining habitat conditions across the state. And those are far less sexy and far less fun to get engaged in, but equally as important. And so, you know, in terms of our participation and in terms of, you know, preserving our, our way of life and our passion, Those are equally as important and we need to step up on on all fronts, not just the ones that pose a threat, but also in advocating for continued conservation efforts, continued uh, funding for uh, wildlife management purposes and everything else that goes in to providing us, uh, you know, the opportunities that we have today. Well, Dan
2: and, and Gaspar, you don't know, you don't know me from a bar of soap, but the reason why Blood Origins is the way that it is today, the reason we fight every single day, the reason we push our, put our shoulder behind the stone every single day, is that I came, I came from a country that what you have here in America, I didn't have. And I know what it's like to not have it. And, you know, I'm going to fight for my two young boys that are growing up to be Americans, that they have things that I never had and I know what it's like to, to lose them. So if we can do anything for the either of you, uh, you have Cody's number. I'll give you my number. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us because we were built for you, essentially. Blood Origins was
4: built for you and the hunting community. Godspeed. Thank you very much, Robbie. Really appreciate
0: that. Thanks to both of you guys. Perfect. We pulled it off in 55
4: minutes, everything I wanted to get done. Thank you very much, gentlemen.